Good morning and welcome to the Full Digest uh, Football Podcast. Uh, thanks so much for joining and thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, delighted to have your company this week. I'm delighted also to be joined by Jeremy Cross, uh, um, Double Cross, two uh, sports of the Daily Star, Matt Dunn, football aficionado of the Daily Express, and we've already bigged him up, we've told him he's got to deliver because he's our special guest, our very special guest uh, this week, Chris McKenna, the uh, Daily Star's absolute top man on on uh, Merseyside Boxing, Manchester, the North West. He rules it all, basically. And uh, we're Hold well on a minute, I cover Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah come on, mate, come on. You know, we all know who does the real graft, don't we? <laughs> I'm kidding, Jeremy, I'm no kidding. Comment. No, no um, comment. No, um, no, I, uh, I, I'm delighted that Chris is joining us because you were at Turf Moor last night, weren't you, Chris, really? And we're going to start with Liverpool. There's so much to talk about this week. Uh, you know, Harry Kane, the big story, new story, really, of the week, wanting to leave Spurs. The Wednesday night fallout. Roy Hodgson, um, him, him sort of retiring from, from Crystal Palace. Is that his retirement from football, though? I'm sure we'll have a theory on that. Um, a look ahead to the final day of the season, the England squad. Fans backing. How good has that been, by the way? Um, but the Burnley fans couldn't help Burnley last night, Chris, could they? I mean, it's a big result for Liverpool. My word, doesn't it set up the final day for Liverpool? And, you know, the permutations now are really interesting. It's all in Liverpool and Chelsea's hands. But... You have to say, don't you, that Liverpool were pretty impressive last night. They've been pretty impressive over the last few weeks, haven't they? Yeah, they've, they've really kind of turned it on and, and rediscovered the, the the mojo and the form. But, um, I mean, Klopp said it after the game last night. It's it's kind of insane that they're this close to getting in the Champions League because four or five weeks ago, people were talking about, oh, it'd be better if Liverpool don't finish seventh because you don't want to be in that Europa Conference League. <laughs> and now they're, it's in their hands to finish in the Champions League after, I think it's seven wins out of nine games, unbeaten in, in, in those nine games. And they've just, they're not back to their best of the old conquering last year, don't get me wrong. Like, we were both at West Brom on Sunday and mm. without Alisson, that would have been a very different result and it would have been a very different mood heading into that Burnley game. But last night was comfortable, goal just before halftime. A bit of a nervy kind of start. Phillips and, and Reese Williams at the back had a few a few tough exchanges with Chris Wood who was giving them problems but once they kind of settled down and then they got that goal it was only going to be one winner really and yeah it's all in their hands now they they, they can't really blow it you would imagine home to Crystal Palace who have got nothing to play for you've got to deliver that surely <laughs> says he ramping up the pressure <laughs> I tell you what it is interesting though Jeremy isn't it because no, dare I say, we'll come on to Roy Hodgson properly in a minute. And, you know, but Roy Hodgson was Liverpool manager. Roy Hodgson is far too gracious and far too generous a man to admit it publicly. But surely there's a tiny bit of him that thinks, I didn't get the greatest reception on Liverpool. I'm not very popular. I wonder how I could show them. And it's my final game in charge of Crystal Palace. Is there anything in the in there that makes you think that they could play party poopers at Anfield? Probably not. I mean, you're right, you've got a point. Look, Roy Roy's time at Liverpool was pretty pretty disappointing. He he, he the Liverpool fans really never accepted him and he, and he left, you know, with his reputation. Um you know, in not in tatters, but it, it was a cloud on, o, over him, really. So he will love to beat um, Liverpool and, you know, stuff up their Champions League hopes. Um, mm. It all depends on the players, doesn't it? How, how he motivates them, how motivated they are. A lot of them will have one eye on the beach, I suppose, and the summer break. So um, on paper, you'd fancy Liverpool to win because, like Chris said, they found a bit of form. Nowhere near what they were before they were last season, but you know they've, they've really dug in and picked up some good results um, the last few weeks. Nine unbeaten, obviously the mass the goal Alisson scored at West Brom at the weekend could, could prove to be the difference between Champions League football and Europa League football. So uh, fair play to them, you know they've rescued something from um, a very disappointing season because the fall from grace this season has been. Dramatic, really. No one saw it coming. So, but yeah, Roy would love to to, to take three points, finish his career, whether it be his last game of his career. He'll want to win it. So, 
you know, it's an interesting afternoon. Yeah. Matt, Matt, just on, on Liverpool, I mean, you know, Alison was amazing. Matt. I mean, the story was sensational, wasn't it? I mean, how do you evaluate, if Liverpool finish fourth, how will we view, bearing in mind the topsy-turvy season that, that they've had, and, you know, it, it does still feel a patched up defence. I mean, Chris and I, as, he, as Chris mentioned, you know, we were at the Hawthorne Sunday. I mean, two central half. I mean, Nat Phillips is a willing worker, isn't he? But, you know, I mean, let's be honest here. You know, it's it doesn't feel quite Liverpool. But I, I love the Nat Phillips story, so I'm not being disingenuous on that. But it's just, how will we view the season overall, Matt, do, do you think? Because, I mean, well, you know, the total defence has been a bit, you know, shambolic the least, but they'll finish if they finish top four on a remarkable high, won't they? I thought that Allison's uh, moment encapsulated the whole thing. It felt mm. like Jimmy Glass. It felt like Carlisle. It felt like surviving, clinging on with your fingernails. And Liverpool need that Champions League football now. Let's not, you know, having established themselves under Klopp uh, as mm. the real deal again, they need it. So it would have been like a relegation if they don't finish in the top four. Um, yeah. uh, and, and it was, and they are clinging on by their fingernails. Um, my Liverpool experience last night was just via match of the day because obviously I was at, I was watching Roy Hodgson uh, give Arsenal a run for their money with his on the beach team um, until the last, until injury time. Um, uh, and uh, I, I mean, the, they they were singing the praises of Nat Phillips, but mentioning the fact that he had a rocky start. The trouble is. At that level, you have a rocky start for 10 minutes, you can be a goal down and then the game's gone. Uh, and that's Liverpool's problem. It's not been a proper solution. It's been a sort of a patch-up job ever since they decided not to replace Virgil van Dijk properly. Uh, and it looks like all going well the last game of the season, they're going to get away with it. But it is, it's an escape rather than an, uh, any sort of achievement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Chris, you, you you'll know as well as any anyone. Basically, Liverpool so dependent on the Champions League, aren't they? It's not just about prestige, though, is it? It's, a, it's about financial. Let's let's not make it too much of a kind of a fairy tale. But just how important is it in terms of their, you know, what they do next in terms of re- recruitment, in terms of you know, going again, if you like, a new generation of of a, of a club team, if you like. Yeah, it's massive because they've kind of not shied away from the impact of COVID on the finances at the club. And they've obviously had that new investment deal um, that kind of, it wasn't a sudden like injection of money to just suddenly make them rich enough to go out and buy Mbappe. It was money to bring in to kind of keep them at the position where they are, where they can, okay, buy a 40, 50 million pound player, but they're not going to go out and do a Man City and buy three, four of them in a window. so to have that Champions League money is 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 massive for them, and obviously the football as well because Mo Salah's contract is it has to be sorted. They're going to open talks this summer with Allison and Fabino, and obviously none of them were going to go. Oh, we're not in it this year. We're off. But it just kind of brings that stability that you go into next season, and if they don't start well and they're not in the Champions League, that people start going, "Oh, is this is this is the club going backwards?" Whereas now they'll. If they get that space, that pet, uh, they get that place, they'll now go into the next season with the Champions League football and in, in plenty of confidence because they've finished the season so strongly. Mm. But yeah. Jurgen Klopp has said it, on a, it in an interview the other day, and I'm not, I don't really agree with it, but he says it'll be one of his biggest achievements as a manager to get them into the top four. I mean, he's won the Bundesliga with Dortmund ahead of Bayern Munich. He's won the Champions League with Liverpool when they were 3-0 down against Barcelona and he's, they ran away with the league title last season for the first time in 30 years. So it's quite a statement to make, but I suppose it is one mm. of them, but it might be his fifth biggest achievement or sixth biggest achievement. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I, I know what the, 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 you know, the, the words that you mean. It's, it's like why I disagree with that is that basically, let's be honest here, you know, it's, it's about the centre-halves, isn't it? It's about losing Virgil van Dijk. It's about losing Joe Gomez and basically, you know, overcoming that. But hang on a minute. Who who left himself short in that department? That's yeah. why, yes, you know, listen, they, they've done it, you know, and they basically got, uh, I'm not, I, I, I'm, a, you know, I think what they've done in the last few weeks is fantastic. But, you know, they decided to sell Ejan Lovren. They bought two centre-rounds in January. Let's be honest, it's not really done the job, is it? I mean, that's the point, isn't it? I don't think it's, you know, that's why I don't think really you can say it's a great achievement because (laughs) 
kind of it feels like, well, who got himself into the mess in the first place? You know, bad luck with it to two injuries, of course. Everyone has injuries. I get that. And it's, yeah. it's, you know, I don't know. That's why I disagree with it. But um, but there you go. Jeremy, I was just going to ask you, talking about centre-halves, we have had, you know, since we've been on, actually, the, the Football Writers Association, magnificent organisation, of course, um, have announced that their player of the year is Ruben Diaz. Um, do, do, do you agree with that? I mean, while we're talking about kind of, you know, solidity and or lack of, of Liverpool, has he been the defining influence of Manchester City's title winning season? <laughs> Yeah, he has. I mean, you know, we all knew that um, City had their failings last season and they needed to, you know, make changes, make fill, plug some gaps um, in a bid to overhaul Liverpool. And they've done that with flying colours this season. And the one man who has basically solved a lot of Guardiola's problems is Diaz. You know, watched him a lot this season. He's a remarkable player. I can't recall him making a mistake. He probably has, but, you know, no one's perfect. But... I can't recall writing a match report, dozens of match reports actually I've done on City this season where in which, you know, he's, he's actually done something wrong. So he's lifted everyone around him. He's to help, you know, put confidence back into John Stones. And he's, you know, he sort of serves that old adage that, you know, strikers score goals and, and win games, but obviously defenders win titles. You know that as an Arsenal uh, follower John from that legendary team under George Graham that used to you know win one nil every week and win all the trophies so City have been a different beast with um, Diaz in it and I think it's refreshing to see a defender actually appreciated in this way because you know I think it's rare very rare that a defender wins wins an accolade like this um so yeah he, he has been a huge huge signing for for City and Guardiola's not always got his signings right um, for all his genius. You know, he's made some signings that have not work, worked out for him. He didn't replace Vincent Company when he should have done. He left it a year and it cost him dearly. And, um, you know, he's he's got that guy for just over 60 odd million. So, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be paid them back in spades. He's probably paid them back in spades already. He's, he's, he's a great player and he's young. You know, he can, he can be the bedrock that they can go on to, to build on and win, win countless more things. Yeah, I, I voted for him. So, you know, I yeah. must know what I'm talking about. And just on, just on the Arsenal thing, of course, you know, having, having, um, having just been on, on, on social media earlier and said, you know, pundits should never say we and, uh, you know, I guess they're sort of kind of trying to avoid sort of giving away allegiances or, or whatever. But it did make me laugh that basically, um, uh, a, a great friend of mine, a former colleague, Adrian Kajumba, did a did a did a story which keeps on being retweeted about Arsenal's interest in Ruben Diaz a year before um, uh, Man City signed him, and then basically it's it's a belter simply because Adrian is incredibly well connected. I think he's a really good journalist and, 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 and an excellent reporter, so it'll be well sourced and it'll be right, and I'm sure it was. And uh, basically, Arsenal, you know, they you know, unfortunately decided that they probably had. Better, you know, different, cheaper options, and, and didn't push the button on it. And doesn't that say it all, basically? And it just makes me laugh because you just cannot get away from the fact that Diaz, I just think, has been the defining player of the season. Well, ironically, I think he was. City. A, I think he, yeah, he was the third choice. Though, ironically, I think Guardiola wanted to sign the guy at um, Napoli. Really? I think he was above him and there was another guy at, um, in Spain that he wanted to sign. So, you know, he was third choice, I think. But, you know, he's he's been a wonderful player. And um, is, it, is it true that your vote is the casting vote, John? <laughs> well, of course. You know, I always have the final say, Jeremy, of course. Matt, Matt, what the... Uh, go on, go on. Yeah, I was just saying, so is Arteta putting together a team of players he nearly signed to... Have a charity match against Wenger's team of players. Honestly, it's ridiculous. I thought I'd gone with Wenger that game. I mean, honestly, well, Tony Adams chimed in recently with Jude Bellingham saying how Arsenal got close to signing Jude Bellingham, how close that was. And I was thinking, Tony, really didn't. They were absolutely nowhere near. And then basically, it was one thing I did, did hear about. There's absolutely nowhere. Everyone wanted to sign him, but it came between down between Dortmund and, and Man United. And it was just, I thought, oh, God, here we go again, sort of thing, really. But no, uh, so, yeah, Arteta's probably still working on it nearly 11. I think he's got a few to go yeah. and get, hasn't he? But, um, but there you go. But look, I was going to go back to the, the top four with you, Matt, in just that basically it does leave this 
you know, final day, really interesting, isn't it? Last few weeks has felt a bit a bit strange, isn't it? A lack of kind of because everyone knows who's the three that are going down. We felt as if you know the title's been done for, for months and weeks, and that you know it's it's not left much to play with. But the final day has suddenly become very interesting, hasn't it? Because the three still in the mix. And I still think that, basically, you know, Liverpool, you'd expect them to beat Palace, right? But then, you know, Leicester Spurs isn't a given. And neither is Chelsea's trip to Aston Villa. So where, who do you think is going, to, is going to end up taking those two final places, securing those two places? Well, it's, it's remarkable, isn't it? After this rollercoaster of season we've kept on about where results aren't predictable, the four biggest spenders are now top four in the league going into the final game of the season. Um, I'm not saying it's going to change, but there is a familiarity this morning about the table with Leicester dropping out for the first time. Um, they're the unlucky ones. The good news is they've got to play a Spurs team that seem all over the place at the moment. Um, I think, unlike Spurs, you were there, John, you'll know better than I, I did. I just saw it on the telly. But I think Leicester will have home advantage, it'll be home advantage rather than home disadvantage, which is for Spurs last night. Um, uh, and I think they, they've got what it takes to win that one. Like you mm. say, um, Chelsea are the ones having to play away that, that might struggle. And, and they've kind of been off the boil a little bit for the last couple of games. And, uh, and that's unlike they were good, they were good Tuesday, though. weren't they? Really good Tuesday. Yeah, we'll see. yeah, they they were they were really at it, but it's been a long season for them, and yeah, you know, great. in these crunch games, you know, they, they did what they needed to do on Tuesday. Um, it wasn't always convincing, I didn't think, um, compared to what they had been earlier in the season. Um, whether they do it again, I mean. <laughs> They're good enough side, but Jack Grealish seems to be busy fighting Andy's corner and for his number one fan, um, uh, who I presume is just missing because Pochettino won a cup last night. Um, that's why he's not here today. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but but you know, Villa will have Andy Dunn is on the golf course, a well deserved golfing <laughs> break, Matthew. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Excuse me, but um, but yeah, someone's going to slip up somewhere, they always do. That's 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 the beauty of football, but. I fear that top four has a very familiar ring to it today, and I think it'll probably be the same top four on uh, Sunday night. You were you were at Chelsea, Matt, weren't you? I mean, Leicester. Yeah. Le- <laughs> Leicester have won the FA Cup, right? But they've spent all yeah. season in the top four. If they finish fifth on on you know Brendan Rodgers was you know really trying to play this down, wasn't he? After the game post match on 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 the Zoom, frankly. Does it represent a disappointing season, bearing in mind it's second, second season running, or is the season incredibly positive? It's not just a generational thing. It was a, it's just several generational things uh, for Leicester winning that FA Cup on, yeah. on uh, Saturday. I wrote in my match report, do you know what? If you could have divvied it up beforehand, I think Leicester would have taken the Cup. Chelsea would have taken the Champions League. The only thing I couldn't understand why we're all having a fight about it in the final minutes of the game. You know, It all just seemed very amicable and how it should be. Um, yeah, Leicester have played Champions League football. They will miss it. And obviously, it's unlucky that if they've been there every other table apart from the last one, that, that you know, they'll feel that it was a missed opportunity. But but they'll take that cup and the memories of, of Saturday any day. Uh, and yeah, it could have been a better season as it is. It's remarkable. It's so hard to win silverware. Uh, and Leicester have done it again, you know, twice since uh, Harry Kane was on loan with them. Looking, you know, as, as like a second best, t- a step up to the Spurs team, and now you know he's still not won anything, and they've won both the title and the uh, FA Cup. It shows you how hard it is and how remarkable it is that they managed to do that. Isn't the worry though, John, for Leicester that if they don't finish in the Champions League places, what does that do for Rodgers in terms of his chances of keeping certain players at Leicester? Um, you know, the Madisons of this world, James Justins. Uh, the Tielemans, um, Fafanu, I think, is a wonderful player at centre-back. Mm. Um, do those players then start thinking, well, look, we've won a trophy, we've done our job for Leicester, I want to play in the Champions League, there won't be short of offers. You know, Leicester have sold big players in the past, like Kante and Maguire and Drinkwater went to Chelsea. So, you know, that'd be the worry as a Leicester fan if they don't finish in the top four. Will that, will that improve their... Will that hamper their chances of keeping those players that clearly Rogers wants to keep and build a build a team around? 
Yeah, no sure. Well, Chris, who do, you, who do you think will make the, take the final two places? I think it's going to, after all the build-up there's going to be, it's going to be a huge hype job and the three teams are just going to win and it's just going to be, it's going to be over by like 60, 70 minutes. So just, it's just been that kind of season, hasn't it, where mm. it's all felt dramatic, but when you kind of strip it back, it's like Man City <laughs> ran away with the title. Liverpool have been the drama, but they're still probably going to end up in the top four. The relegation battle's been done really for months. And I just think that yeah, obviously they're going to be a big hype by 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 us, the media, by Sky, by everybody, just saying, oh, "Wow, big crunch Sunday!" And it'll be like two 0 Liverpool and half time. Chelsea I just I don't know. I just have that feeling. <laughs> it's just going to be quite dull, and it's just going to be the the, the, the top four as it is at the minute. And for mm. Leicester, it's a massive disappointment. It's a, two years in a row they've they've kind of thrown it away. But I don't know. At the start of the season, if you told most of the fans, what would you take top four the FA Cup? They would have probably taken the FA Cup. So, but Jeremy's right. It's the problem is the aftermath, isn't it? That the players will mm. get itchy feet and go, "We're good enough to be playing in the Champions League. We're getting bigger offers. Not sure we'll stay." So, yeah, it's a tough one for them. But yeah, I'm I'm down playing Sunday. I think it's going to be. Uh, a boring, boring, boring day. Chris, Chris, Chris you're forgetting the <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> you're forgetting the mighty battle for seventh place. Where they're all battling to get uh, qualified for the Europa Conference League uh, and do uh, battle with. They, they get to play League. You get in the Euro- Europa um, Conference League and you get to play against the San Marino Cup winners and the third best team in Gibraltar. So, I mean, I mean, who's not going to want to be fighting for that for the 90th minute? Yeah. This is a, this is a bugbear of mine. goals in the last 10 minutes. On God, <laughs> no, I, seriously, I think that, that the issue is for me this, right, is that basically I still think, and this might be totally misguided and utterly completely patronising, and it wouldn't be unusual for me, but I don't know that lots and lots of people have understood the actual practicalities of the Europa Conference League. You know, Matt, you rightly say, this is going to come as some culture shock. Yeah, this is going to come as some culture shock for a lot of football fans. For a lot of football clubs and for a lot also, of if you win it, what do you, you don't you don't achieve anything by winning it, do you? You don't no. get into the Europa League. You don't cool. get into the Champions it's, League. It's, it's the new into Toto. It's the new into Toto. Yeah, I, I, think you, I think you do get a Europa League place if you win it. You know? Do you? yeah. But right. even even like December January, I'm speaking to friends in that, and they thought I was I was made this competition up. Nobody even had even heard of it. It was just like ridiculous. They thought I was like winding like a few of my mates who are Arsenal and Tottenham fans. They thought I was winding them up by saying you'd be playing in the Conference League next year. And they were like, mm. what are you on about? It's like such a strange thing to just create for no reason. Who it's wants Just what we need as well, isn't it? Another competition. Yeah. More games. Who, who really, wanted this? Yeah. It's absolutely bizarre. Yeah, no, look, I, I, the only thing I think is that, it, yeah, it is that pathway, isn't it? They're trying to sort of create this sort of kind of mini league with the kind of promotion, you know, Europa League into the Champions League, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and I guess, you know, that's the thing though. You have to balance that, don't you? Because I think the, I, I always annoys me that basically English clubs don't take Europa League which for me, you know, growing up was always UEFA Cup and that felt like, you know, something worth winning and doing. Um, seriously enough. And now I just feel as if, like, with the formation of the Europa Conference League, I think the problem we got with that is that, yeah, it's licensed to not take it seriously because I don't, you know, think that a lot of fans will go, well, you know, I spent so much money on following my team. You know, can, can we do it again? You know, will we do it again? I mean, some of those clubs have such loyal following in the Europa League. And don't get me wrong, a lot of those fans will still go, but come on, these are difficult times. And it's, I don't know, I can see... Some of the best European know. trips I went on were, were with Bradford City when they entered the Intertoto what Cup in Leeds? 2000. Well, obviously, yeah, well, Real Madrid. Who, who wants Real Madrid? I'm when you joking, Matt, I'm joking. Tell yeah, us about Who Bradford wants Real Madrid City? when you can play against Clypeda? Um, <laughs> Is that the play... Was that, that, was, that was the play. That was, story, yeah. that was a good trip. As, yeah. But they're great trips, and they're, but they're for the likes 
Uh, they're not for the likes of Spurs. I mean, last time Spurs were in the Intertoto, Alan Pardew played for them. They rung around anyone that they could find who still had a pair of boots in the summer uh, and stuck them in the team and had suffered their worst defeat. This isn't something you should be fighting for in the last day of the season. It's a joke competition designed by um, UEFA to nick more of the midweek calendar so that they get the rights money rather than anybody else. And it's yep. going to be a great competition for the smaller countries. But but for English teams, you know, it should be seen as an embarrassment if you're in that seventh position. They should um, have left it that they, only those smaller countries could play in it. That it well, and it is a promotion. Yeah, but, they, they need the, they, but they need the big... We're the ones that draw them in. You know, it's you get the chance to play against the mighty Spurs or the mighty Arsenal. Um, you know, that, that that's the incentive for the smaller countries, uh, supposedly, because they'll look at the record books and see that they used to be good clubs. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's what it's for. It, Big it's Arsenal just, fan, aren't you, mate? You're Big Arsenal fan. Arsenal qualified for it, though. Especially at the moment. But, Arsenal uh, qualify for it, don't they? No, they won't. No. They can do. They can, they can finish higher than Spurs. Well, they can do, yeah. But they can do, but they, I don't think they will do. But anyway, this brings us on to the, the conveniently lovely segue there, Matt, because that brings us well, on perfectly to Harry Kane. And the reason why he wants to quit Spurs is he probably doesn't want to play in the Europa Conference League. No, I'm joking. He, go, he wants to go and win major trophies, major prizes. Look, it's been the big story this week, really, the new story. Um, you, you know, I was at Spurs last night and I know I'm the only one there, that, you know, amongst us that was. So just to set the scene, it was it was amazing beforehand because when the teams spread out, just be- literally just before kickoff, Harry Kane, you know, basically got the loudest cheer. They were singing his name. They were singing that song right throughout the game. At the end, Harry Kane stays on the pitch after the final whistle, does a lap of the pitch, literally, you know, clapping and waving at every side of the ground that was, you know, had fans in it. I thought it was a really classy gesture from Kane. Uh, I thought it was a really classy gesture from the Spurs fans. And the Spurs fans who were shouting abuse, you know, at various points at the, the hierarchy and Daniel Levy and, and the ticket prices. Frankly, you know, the way they responded what felt to me as if they were saying, on you go, Harry, you know, you go with our blessing, we get it, you're not going to win trophies here, you know, thanks for thanks for everything. And I just thought that that, that will probably strengthen Kane's belief that he's, he's doing the right thing, you know, feels if he leaves Tottenham, his legendary status maintained, and I still think he's a legend, by the way. And I, you know, I thought it was done really, really well. But Jeremy, what, what, what have you made of this week? And the whole story, the way it's happened, the timing of it, because that was very pronounced and it's definitely done for a reason. And will he get his move? Yeah, I know we swapped a few messages about it, didn't we? Just are sort of surprised at the timing of it. You know, there's a few weeks to go before a major tournament begins. A shot window for Kane to showcase showcase his, his amazing talent. Will he get a move before the Euros start? Probably not. I can't see that happening. We've all been involved in these stories down the years where they tend to drag on and on through the summer. You know, I mean, there will be probably four or five clubs chasing Harry Kane. Who, who wouldn't want Harry Kane in their team? So the timing of it is astonishing, really. Um, it makes you wonder, like we said um, between ourselves, it makes you wonder if a, a, a specific club has told Kane, we're going to sign you this summer, you know, you do your bit at your end and make it clear to Daniel Levy that you, you want to leave. So um it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see what pans out. I mean, you know, obviously Chelsea um would probably want to sign him. Man City would want to sign him. I don't believe for one minute that Guardiola, when he says you know, we don't have the money to go for these hundred million pound players, I think City will sign a big make a big signing this summer. And um United will always be interested in Harry Kane. Um, he probably suits United more and Chelsea more than City when you look at the way City play. Sounds crazy to think that um, Kane wouldn't fit into any team in the world because he's so good. But um, the way City have played this season without without a proper striker, um, you know, um, you, you think, well, mm, how would he fit into that system? But, you know, Kane can play a num- num- number of positions. His, his ultimate position is a, is a, an out-and-out number nine get scoring goals. But, you know, we've watched him for years play for England. He's a wonderful passer and, a, you know, probably the best passer in the England team when, he, when, when he's on form. And, um, you know, he could play as a 10. Maybe Guardiola might have a special plan for him. You don't know. So, um, he's a kick in the teeth, obviously, for, for, for Levy, who's trying to get a new manager. 
you know, what, what does that, what impact does it have on, on his chances of getting a top class manager to take over Tottenham? If you were, I don't know, whoever, whoever they may be interested in, in bringing uh, as a manager, would you think, well, you know, is this a deal breaker for me? Because you loot Tottenham without Kane is, you know, quite a depressing prospect, isn't it, for a Spurs fan, you know, going into next season without Harry Kane, the talisman, the main scorer. So I just think it's now or never for Kane. He's 20, was he 28 this summer in July? So mm. it's his peak, peak, he's reaching his peak years. It's going to be his one big move of his career. And, you know, the fact that he's supported Tottenham as a, as a, as a youngster coming through, he's fulfilled his childhood dream to play for them, scored some great goals for them. But, you know, I, I don't blame him for wanting to leave. It's now or never, I think, for Kane. And he'll, he'll end up somewhere huge and... Um, you know, but I just hope it doesn't drag on too long because I don't think he's going to do Southgate any favours during the Euros if this is this is going on about Kane. And that's that's my worry for England and for Kane. You know, how distracted will he be? No, no, I totally agree, Jeremy. You know, I've come to love you and admire you even more than than, than ever before. Basically, in the sixteen yeah. months or so during lockdown, I genuinely think you're you, you know you're a god amongst men and 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 lockdown legend. Don't think, don't think anyone has gone up in my estimation quite as much as you. But I massively, massively disagree with you about Man City, and I tell you, I tell you why. I think, I think Harry Kane this season for Spurs has been unbelievable. He's almost played like a false nine at times. He's he would fit into that City team so well because he could play as the. You know, he could all. They could almost basically say with Harry Kane in the team, or oh, they're playing without a striker again. He's been unbelievable. He's been playing, you know, he's had the season of his life. He's, he might not have scored the 30 goals that I think he's done in the past, not far off it, 22, but the amount of assists that he's got, he's taken his game to a whole new level. He's been fantastic this season. And I don't think it almost feels as if we've given him much enough love and appreciation. The game, he's truly, truly become a world-class striker in my eyes this this season absolutely phenomenal I think City would be such a great fit um, for him Matt you, you've, you, you know you've seen a lot of him and I, I just think he has the reason why I think he's right to do what he does and I think he should go with the blessing is that basically I've felt for a long time if we talk about world class strikers we talk about Harry Kane we almost forget Robert Lewandowski in that in that conversation, well, I mean, he's 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 the daddy basically, and Kane wants to be sort of you know up with Messi and Ronaldo, be winning major trophies. That that's why he's 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 going, isn't it? And you know, I mean, do, do you think though that Spurs will sell ultimate? Um, that that is the ultimate question. Um, I think they owe him uh, a transfer, yeah. providing the money's right. Uh, I think it becomes a very different envi- difficult environment if they're seen to hold Kane back. I think the dressing room kind of expects it as well. Um, they all bought into a project which has gone sour, and I think it's time. They, they've got a great stadium. They've got a great training ground. They kind of need a new project now, and I think that's one without Harry Kane. But with the majority of Harry Kane's transfer money, it reinvested back into a new team. That's, that's what's key for a new manager, coming in and saying, well, you've got that $120 million to spend for starters. Um, they've got other good players there. Um, none of them are Kane. Uh, I mean, Kane is exceptional. There's one thing that's, you know, you can say all the nice things he said about Jeremy, but but I, I hate him because he's got He's a god. He's a god. Yeah, he, 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 well, yeah, not a very good god, though, because he's got me agreeing with you uh, about that city <laughs> Uh, and so I can't like him for that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, he is an exceptional player. And he's been talking this week, well, just before this all broke, he did a an interview for Coca-Cola ahead of the Euros in which he... Um, in which case, which he was talking about playing until he was 34, 35. He's had his injury problems, but that's how he sees his head. That's seven years. He only started in the Premier League for the first time for Spurs seven years ago. He could go and do as much again as he's done for Spurs somewhere else. This isn't just mm. him having a swan song where he picks up a gong or two. He sees himself as having a proper future at a proper club, you know, and really becoming one of the main decorated players in the game still. Um, that's his ambition. Levy can't deliver that anymore because of his crass choices of manager. I mean, let's face it, Tottenham's problem is they're the big decision now, the, the crucial decision about that future lies in who they appoint as manager next. 
And Levy's arguably only got it right once in the last 20 years. And, you know, he sacked Redknapp too soon. He was his other one he stumbled mm. onto. He chose Pochettino. That worked for him. He sacked him as soon as it started going wrong. Mm. Uh, and and the point is about Pochettino, Matt, is he didn't on. even want Pochettino. Pochettino well, wasn't he, his first choice. Exactly. The yeah, exactly. And that worked well for Southampton. Um, yeah, so the man who appointed Ramos, the man who appointed all these, you know, all these managers who, who did so so badly for Spurs mm. has now got to choose the next manager to take them onto a new level. He got blind blinded by the thought of working with Jose Mourinho, which is why he was so swift with the axe on Pochettino. Um, and, uh, you know, he got that horribly wrong. He seemed to think AVB was the next thing since sliced bread, which is why he got rid of um, Redknapp. Um, uh, and he keeps getting those decisions wrong. He needs to make another inspired choice to take advantage of everything in terms of infrastructure they've built. And Kane's lost confidence in that process. And I can understand it because why would you put his young mate? I mean, this is Kane, who is best mate, who's kind of his little brother, if you like, in that Spurs dressing room, is now the manager. How weird must that feel? And how do you feel? How do you take a club seriously that, with all due respect to Ryan Mason, who could be a very good manager one day, isn't a very good manager now because he's not had a chance to learn the ropes? Uh, and when you find yourself going to training to be told how to play football by a guy who wasn't good enough to be in your team a few years ago, um, you know, it's a mess. The whole thing's a mess. It's a Levy-built mess. Um, and Levy needs to pull a, an absolute masterstroke in this appointment. But he's going to have to do it without Kane. And if he doesn't give Kane a chance to move for the right price, admittedly, because he has signed a contract, if he doesn't give him a chance to move, there's going to be a lot of unhappy players in that dressing room who feel that they've been sold a pup on what Tottenham mean and, and what they mean as a club. Crossy, if you were Daniel Levy, who would you look to appoint as manager? <sighs> who would be a realistic person to come in, to, to get in now? Now they're gonna be they're gonna be managing a team without Harry Kane in it. Well first and foremost I wouldn't have sat Mourinho when they did. Well it was a really listen, I'm not sure that Mourinho was a, was was the right fit, but I think that to sack him was ridiculous. Before the week before a cup final, it has to be the most ridiculous thing, you know, that a chairman has done uh, for some years. Frankly, I mean that's absolutely absurd. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's you know, he's a, well, everything to Mourinho. He actually got Spurs to the you know top of the table at one point, two points, I think, and then before basically Christmas. got them to got got them to a cup final. And okay, everyone could see that it maybe wasn't the right thing for the right, right, you know, t- you know, for the long term. But I just think to do it then six days before the cup final was just unbelievable. I mean, Tottenham's decline since Mourinho went. Don't let anyone tell you different. It's been shambolic and alarming, frankly. And just, you know, just just get to the end of the season and see it out. So I think that basically. Yeah. You know, just then, you know, then see, see where it takes you. But I just thought that was crazy. And so, I, you know, that that point would worry me if I was a Spurs fan in terms of, you know, who's doing the hiring and firing. And then I do think that you are, you, you know, if you are Tottenham Hotspur, listen, the, I think there's, you know, there's been an interest or there is an interest in Graham Potter. But, and I think that basically if you are, a club in Germany, a go-forward club. That's not an unusual thing to do. In that, basically, if you are that level, you often take from within. And yeah. basically, you know, it's part of that ladder system. It's accepted in Germany. Would it be accepted here by Spurs fans? No, I don't think so. I think John, that's John, the reality. That? I'm not saying that's, that's right what, or that's wrong, but, you know, John, I think you need Spurs a bigger did. name appointment. Yeah, well, that's what Spurs did in 2014. They went to the South Coast, took a promising young manager, and it worked well we, for them. But, but then you're respect, Matt. I don't. I think that Pochettino. <laughs> that I I felt that everyone could see there was a bit more about Pochettino at that stage. Graham Potter might prove to be the, yeah. the, a really, I'm, really I'm, outstanding I'm again, manager. I'm agreeing with you, John. You know, it's a step backwards seven years. That's mm. the sort of appointment they had mm. made seven years ago. Right, they've okay. now got no, the biggest gotcha. stadium now. The, mm. You know, the biggest stadium, the great training ground. They've got some fantastic players. They've got a World Cup winner in goal. You know, they've got Son, who should never be underrated as a talent. Um, you know, they, they've got some proper players outside of Harry Kane. 
you know, Deli Ali still could be a, a, a force. You know, that they've got some decent players who've got a lot of experience. And, you know, they should be looking for that. <laughs> the, the name that keeps coming back to my mind is someone who could play the right football, catch mm. the right vibe and ever. And it all depends on what happens this summer is Roberto Martinez. Now, if yeah. he has a successful yeah. Euros and uh, shows his mettle with the world's best football, I mean, look at the team he's building there. He's not, you know, for whatever he did at Everton, and, and I think people were disappointed with how he got on at Everton. You know, he's mm. taken those players, he's played football with them and beaten some decent teams. You know, and establish them as the as you know the world's number one in the rankings. You know, it's yeah. I think that's the caliber of manager they should be looking at. Uh, a developmental manager was something where they were seven years ago, and they got that right that time. And they would just be wasting that 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 whole process to go back there again. Yeah, what's I know I agree with you, Martin. To, what's the attraction for people. somebody like Roberto Martinez? Well, I must say, Jeremy, I do I do agree with you again. I mean, it's becoming a habit, but basically, I think that basically the the you know Martinez is a bit like Southgate. You know, Southgate was linked with it a few weeks ago. Why on earth would Southgate take Spurs now, or even after the Euros? Because you've got the World Cup in twenty twenty two, and I think that's similar for a lot of international managers, including Martinez. I think Martinez might be a viable target after the Euros just just from what I you know from what you sort of kind of bits and pieces you hear and I think that's maybe a possible so you know they could possibly do that but I think the other one is that there's no doubt about it their first choice their overwhelming first choice was it was Julian Nailsman now yeah. again I think that basically it, 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 you know if you speak to a lot of people then basically I think a lot you know it's, the suspicion in Germany was uh, that you know he would take the path that indeed he has, you know, and so he's you know he's obviously staying. Then basically, kind of it's a bit of a revolving door policy. But there was no way that he was ever going to then basically come to, you know, he would leave and then move to you know to a bigger club in Germany rather than come to the Premier League. And I just think if that in any way influenced their thinking over Mourinho, well, again, that would highlight that you know bad long term planning. And I, I, I personally think it probably did. I think they were sort of fixated upon Nagelsmann. Nagelsmann wasn't a viable option for, for some months. And I think that, you know, they're getting it wrong time and time again. And when 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 the atmosphere last it was as toxic as it was last night, you know, Levy is a very good chairman when it comes to doing the right thing in terms of transfer deals and getting the good deals for Spurs. But now, even though they've built this fantastic stadium, and he's, you know, got the club in good position from that perspective. He got the club into a final. He's got, the, you know, two years ago, they were, you know, they're in the Champions League final. You know, where are they going now? And that that is a major, major Gibraltar. issue. Oh, yeah, <laughs> fast. And I think that basically Levy has to look at himself and I think, you know, no way the ownership removes Levy. Levy, Levy is a solid, solid owner and, and, and chairman for them. So, you know, it, it, that, that's pie in the sky. But Levy must do some self-examination now, and, and I'm sure he is doing so to, to, to get it right again. Because I don't think that basically, you know, Tottenham is crumbling. But from a football sense, of sense I don't think it's moving in the right direction at all. And the, the next appointment is absolutely crucial. You know, it's it's um, yeah, it's going to be a difficult one. Listen, let's move it on to Roy Hodgson, um, and then basically because it was a fantastic farewell, wasn't it last night? Chris, you know, let me start with you. I know you you were there, Matt. So, but please forgive me. I want to get Chris the word in edgeways. But basically, you know, Roy Hodgson. I, I mean, he's. I thought the, the the footage on match of the day where he comes out. I thought he was going to. He was sort of smiling. I thought he was going to burst out laughing. He was enjoying it so much. It was beautiful, wasn't it? It was a lovely moment. Great tribute, wasn't it? To one of football's great gentlemen, I think. He strikes me as somebody who's kind of would maybe feel a bit uncomfortable with all of that. That he doesn't he doesn't really like a big pomp and ceremony and all of that thing. But look, he's had a, a varied and, and, and pretty impressive career. Um those years in the nineties and noughties and out, out abroad managing and just all of the knowledge he would have picked up on on doing that. Um Myself, I, I haven't covered much of his career. Like um, before, when he was at Liverpool, that was before my time on the patch. So 
I, I haven't really got to know him maybe as well as you guys do, but you kind of have to respect the, the kind of work he's done. He's done a great job with Palace. Um, they, they were never really in trouble of, of going down. They were always solid and they've got a big decision now to kind of make, haven't they? They, they, they get the mm-hmm. right man in to replace him because that can go one way or the other. So, yeah, look, he's, uh, he's, he's very well liked. He's very well loved. And it, 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 I, I kind of hope that he does kind of retire from football now. I think he get to that age and he could go into another job and it could not, it could go terribly wrong. And then he's kind of maybe remembered for the kind of wrong things. I mean, let's be honest, he's not going to go into another job and suddenly start winning a load of trophies at this stage of his career. So maybe now is the time to, the right time to bow out. Mm. Matt, you were there last night. What did he, what did he, what impression did he give you afterwards? And how much did you enjoy the ceremony, by the way? But also what impression did he give you afterwards? His last job or, or, or is that goodbye? Um, I think in his mind, it's not his last job. No. I think he's, I, I don't know how, yeah, how mutual this decision is. I think he still feels like he's got a bit of life in him. Um, uh, but I think it's right. Palace kind of needs him. They, they've said it this ship, and there's always the Alan Kirbishly care for what you wish for example of just down the road from Charlton. But, um, but Palace kind of need to move on now. Um, he's a good manager for mid-table. As you know, I've never been his biggest fan as a football manager. Um, I don't think he's ever been quite the elite football coach that he thinks he is being. Um, and I think that was proven when he went to the biggest clubs uh, in England that I don't think he could deliver at Liverpool. He couldn't um, deliver at Inter. Uh, and, he, and, he, and, and England ended in an absolute, you know, mess that Southgate's shown it was possible what it's possible to grow from that um, but that said he's thank you Tribune <laughs> yeah well I mean it, it seems ill to speak well he says it's not his last go so he's got another chance yeah. to prove me wrong perhaps yeah. um, not least of which on Sunday um, it'd be nice for him to get a decent result Anfield because he didn't manage it in seven Boom. months there um, before um, he, he is a nice bloke. He's very, be very good with us, the media, and we should say that because not all managers are. Um, uh, and he, what worries me is when, when I asked him a, a few weeks, a few months ago, uh, he was coming up against Pep, and you know, I asked him, "Do you learn stuff from these new guys coming through?" And he said, uh, and he just sort of laughed and said, "I learned all I needed to know from Bobby Houghton." Uh, Don um, uh, Dave Sexton and Don Howe uh, and you think well you're still playing the football from 50 years ago and it, and it works and that's why you've made built a career but it's not going to work quite at the elite level and I think Palace need to move on um, and I think he should go with the respect over him because goodness knows wherever he's gone to sort out a football club he knows how to do that um, uh, and, I, and I was genuinely touched, which is also nice to see, uh, by by the the tribute, well, you know, the guard of honour from both sets of players. Um, so you know, he's kind of the the, the grand uncle of football. Yeah, Nicole, no one, no one resents it, whatever. But but I, I don't think he ever achieved, achieved the greatness that he he felt he he was owed. Uh, by the game, and, and that's my big disappointment for him because, uh, yeah. yeah, I still think he feels that he's got some sort of great job left in him where he's going to prove what a brilliant coach he is. Crossy, so we, could have, we could have got my missus on for a special tribute to Roy this morning, couldn't we? Oh my word! Yeah, we should, we should do this, and I'll, I'll mention that. I will mention. Can I mention that? But my my, I'll let you let you tell that story because basically, my we 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 did cover him a lot for England, and it was he was a really nice man. I've got to say, I really enjoyed him. He could get spiky at times, but he was incredibly accommodating, <laughs> as were the FA with with Roy. And basically, you know, terrific guy. I've got to say, you know, two thousand sixteen. The, the, you know, 2014 was a bit of a disaster, wasn't it? Well, I mean, 2012 was a hospital pass. Let's get it right. It was, you know, it was, you know, um, uh, after, after that. And 2014 was just, you know, was picking up the pieces, basically, you know, sort of thing, really, is what I'm trying to say. And it didn't, it didn't, didn't pan out well. And then basically 2016, you know, he went into the tournament contract at an end. Let's see how you get on, basically. 
And it didn't end well, did it? And basically, at the end of that tournament, and indeed after 2014, you know, gave them pelters. And, and you know, at 2016, I've got to say, I was one of those guys in the front row asking, you know, difficult questions, as we all had to do. We gave him some frightful stick on the back pages, didn't we? And then basically, he felt like he really didn't want to be there in his farewell press conference where he said as much. He was very, very angry and hurt and upset, wasn't he, by, by some of the coverage. And do you know what? I didn't see him for quite some time Yeah. Um, afterwards. The next time I saw him was a year later. When he was doing a speech in, in in Beijing of all places, and I happened to be there on a on a pre-season tour, and basically two or three of us sat down and had, had a coffee with him in a hotel in Beijing, and he was, you know, bear in mind he was hurt by that criticism and some of the coverage. He was so classy, he was so, you know, so I wouldn't say forgiving because it, you know, a lot of that criticism was 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 from the heart and what fans were thinking, and but he was just he just moved on, and we just had a you know an hour or two, probably two, you know, just over over coffee and just really kind of you know catching up, and it was just so nice to see him. He's been fantastic ever since. He's a classy guy. I'm so pleased. It's kind of you know he's worked out well for him. Uh, at Palace because I think he, he, in my mind he's done a super job and I think Steve Parrish does a super job at Palace and I think they've been a really good combo from the brinks of, the brinks of despair in 2010 the club is well established thanks to Roy and I think that he does a super job but he's a classy individual as well but Jeremy you need to tell us about your story in 2014 please <sighs> so 2014 <laughs> we're in Miami we're on a week sort of secondment to Miami it was a couple of warm-up games before we headed to Rio for the World Cup Vauxhall who were one of the England sponsors back in the day put on a, a gig if you remember that hotel we stayed at in Miami which was a fantastic hotel the Four Seasons and Roy and Gary Neville turned up at this um, gathering I think it was Mikingham was it Mikingham's Mikingham's leaving do yeah so there was a presentation to Mikingham uh, the former Five Live um, legendary commentator and um, I, gone. Yeah. I think I was at the bar strangely enough I must have been getting around in and um, it was That's a free bar I, I have to I say it was, a, it was a free bar it was a free bar I have to admit that I was stood with Charlie Wyatt actually and um, Nicola was there my, my missus and she'd come over for a week for a break and um, as soon as she saw Roy Hodgson she just basically honed in on him and said I'm going to speak to Roy Hodgson before I could say, no, that's a big mistake, she'd gone. So Charlie and me were just debating the merits of what was going to pan out and how long she was going to be talking to Roy for. And we started having a book, running, running a book on how long it would be, which ranged from about five minutes to seven minutes. Anyway, this went on for an hour. She was stood talking for an hour with a drinking wine and... Um, I'm thinking this is this is not good. This is not good. And um, I think it got to the point where the FA thought that that she was a plant. She was she'd been sent over by a tabloid to to, to basically stir things up and get a tabloid story from Roy. And um, she became the story of the night, really, because people were thinking, "Who's that woman Roy's talking to?" And I'm thinking, <laughs> "She must have three or four belting stories here." I'm going to fill my boots. I can't wait to speak to her after this, and you know, I'm going to be filling the back pages for the next week and crushing my rivals. Anyway, um, when she eventually stumbled back to the bar, um, you know, our first question was, "What's the story? What did he say?" I can't remember. I'm too drunk. She couldn't remember an hour's worth of conversation with Roy Hodgson. All she could remember was talking about some artist called Douglas Hyde, who I'd never heard of. And that's not going to make me a story, is it? So it was like, right, okay. Total waste of time, you know. But, but no, she said he was a lovely bloke. Yeah, totally yeah. endorsed what you've just said, Crossy. You know, a charming bloke. Um, very amenable, you know. I always found him good to deal with as an England manager. It didn't work out for him at all, did it, as England boss? I think he won three no. of 11 tournament matches. So, sadly, that will always be muck that's thrown at him. But he's had a storied career. I mean, he's been manager for 45 years. He's had 16 clubs in eight different countries. Not many managers can, can boast a CV with that variation on him. So, I mean, Matt's also right. He's never been that elite manager who's... I mean, he got Fulham to a Europa League final back in the day, mm. didn't he? 2010, was it? Mm. Um, 
So I hope he, I mean, he probably won't get a good reception at Anfield, will he, on uh, Sunday? But, you know, no. I think... I well, think he will if they're also, all over. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, look, he, he probably will turn up somewhere else. I think he, Chris is right. I think he should just say, look, I've had a great career, a long one, made a lot of money, had quite a bit of success. Let's just knock it on there. But, you know, football's a drug to people like Roy, isn't it? He's 73, so he's still working. You know, he'll probably find it difficult to leave leave the game. So, but yeah, you should respect him. He does deserves a lot of respect as Royal Chin as a as a manager and as a and as a person. Yeah, I must. Say, I do agree with with what you're saying, Matt. You obviously got a you know you obviously got a hint of it last night, but I thought it was really interesting watching match of the day with with Danny Murphy, who knows Roy so well, likes him so much. He's clearly convinced he's. And if one person's going to know, it's going to be Danny Murphy, I think, basically, because he's tight with Roy and he respects him greatly. I think he thinks he's clearly got one more job in him, doesn't he? Which yeah, Roy does. Go and enjoy yeah. it. You know, yeah. go and enjoy it. It's, it's, it's crazy. But listen, guys, just before we come on to our and final, I'm going to touch on one last um, aspect as well. The fans have been back in this week. Now, just how good has that been? I've got to say, you know, I, I've last night was toxic at Tottenham for me, you know, watching the Spurs fans. Chelsea was was a breath of fresh air. What really caught my imagination about the Chelsea fans being in, there were 8,000 of them at Stamford Bridge, was that all season long, we've been having a go and detracting and knocking, and I mean, from a general we, um, Timo Werner. Now, Timo Werner had quite a good game, despite being caught offside about 1,600 times in 20 minutes. And basically, but he works his socks off. And why you might decry his performances, particularly that offside thing, that he clearly needs coaching out of him, basically, on the telly, the fans in the stadium get a totally different perspective because they see his work rate, they see his energy, what he brings to the team. And I just thought, if ever that summed it up, you know, the atmosphere, it drives the football, it drives the, you know, we've missed fans so much, guys, haven't we? You know, what's been your experiences this week of having fans back in so positive isn't it yeah i mean i was at burnley and there was only three and a half thousand there but it was it sounded like it was nearly full it was it was quite strange it was it was that loud roar when the teams came out it was the there was in the second minute ben me made a, a big tackle on on mo salah to, to deny him a chance and the whole place kind of lifted and even the little things like the ironic cheers when the referee finally makes a decision in Bernie's favour. And it like the, those sound machines that they use on the TV can't kind of replicate that. It's that kind of comedy value that it just adds. And it, it just gives the kind of when it, that was quite a, an end to end game for the first half anyway. And it, it just gives that kind of game a soundtrack, doesn't it? And it, it makes it feel like it's, it's a really good game more than probably what it was on the pitch. If that had had no fans in, it probably wouldn't have felt as exciting as it did for those first 45 minutes. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Guys, let's finish, really, with, and, and finally. So, Manchester City say goodbye to Sergio Aguero this weekend. Sergio Aguero is one of the true great Premier League strikers, one of the true great Premier, uh, players of the Premier League era. Fabulous servant for one of the you know the great teams of the Premier League here as well, and obviously we'll be looking back upon the Aguero moment. You know he scores the last minute title winning deciding goal against QPR. One of the most magical moments in in the Premier League history. But guys, what is your final final day memory or drama, either as a fan or something that you've reported on? Please, Chris. I know that you've kind of got a bit of an intake on this, so let's start with you, if I may. Yeah. So it was actually the same day as the Aguero goal. Um, I was uh, working for Wardle's agency uh, before I joined the Star, and I was covering Wigan Wolves on the final day. And I kind of remember. I don't think there was anything on the line. I think maybe Wolves had already been relegated, and Wigan had stayed up. Um, so it was kind of a nothing game. But so we're all hearing what's going on at the Etihad, like the drama. Nobody can believe it in the press box. You're hardly paying attention to the game. And then the final whistle blows and a load of Wigan fans invade the pitch. And security get on and they kind of stop them going near the Wolves fans who are all in one stand at the DW. But they're all there and they're kind of chanting at the Wolves fans, giving them abuse. And 
there's a line of kind of stewards, but one absolutely huge Wolves fan just runs down, breaks through into this crowd of Wigan fans, and he gets absolutely... Bearing in mind, I have to admit, a lot of Wigan fans ran away from this guy. Like, a, a few hundred just legged it the other way. But a few of them just piled into him. It was this melee, and then about a couple of minutes later, it was probably shorter than that, but it felt like a long time. This big geezer was just carried out, like, absolutely battered. Like, it was just one of the crazy scenes. If if what had happened at the Etihad hadn't have happened, it would have been the back page of every national newspaper. It was just like a riot at Wigan was the last thing you ever expected. I mean, it was chaos. I was stood there, I was working with um, Graham Chase, who, who Jeremy would have worked for, and we were both just looking at each other going, is this actually happening? It was just, it was just absolutely crazy. And then because we were working for a few different papers, we like rang them up after and it's gone, well, wow, this has just happened. And they were just like, we couldn't Forget even care less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way you painted this giant fan is like a scene from Game of Thrones. I don't know whether you've seen it, but in one of those episodes where yeah. sort of this giant monster emerges and basically all of a sudden you've got 10,000 troops against this giant monster. It's like incredible. But no, it's, got it's to, not often no, you come away from Wigan having witnessed something sensational, is it? Let's be fair. <laughs> exactly. No, 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 no. To be fair, Jeremy, yours? Well, I was at... City on that final day so I can't I mean I'd love to offer up some different anecdote to that but I just can't get away from the fact that it was one of those moments in your life where you think did that really happen you know Mm. I mean there were people in the press box just staring open mouthed at each other a couple of Man United leaning journalists shall I say I won't name any names that went literally white when that goal went in from Aguero you just looked at I remember looking at my laptop thinking how do you even begin to write a match report on what's just happened? It was one of those rare moments, thankfully, where you just didn't know what to write. You couldn't really come up with the words to sort of justify the occasion. Um, it was an amazing moment, and um, I don't think it'll ever be topped, to be honest. I, 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 I just don't think you'll ever see anything like that happen again. Who knows? It may happen, but it was literally the last kick of the game. But what people tend to overlook about that afternoon is that second half was – such an amazing story. We had Joey Barton getting sent off. We had QPR taking the lead. There was, you know, so much, so many incidents. Mark Hughes was going mental on the touchline. They needed to win to stay up. And I think they were 17th going into that game. And then, you know, all hell broke loose with Balotelli setting up um, Aguero at the end. And, you know, that will be the one moment I always look back on with and the astonishment when I when I when whenever I come to retire, I will always look back on the afternoon thinking mm-hmm. that was that was a privilege to be there actually. That was the day. Matt, what's yours? Well, most of my last day memories seem to have been at the other end of the table with uh relegation battles. Um Emil Heskey playing at centre back with ten man Wigan against Sheffield United was a, in two thousand and seven well, it was a particularly bizarre um, memory. Um, if we're talking, um, and I, I'll always remember Martinez at Stoke uh, being lifted off the field by the Wigan players when they'd somehow escaped having uh, lost just two of their last nine games when they looked like they were doomed. Um, but if we're talking about disgraceful scenes that marred the final day uh, of the season, you know, right at the very end, then I don't think there's any lower moment than when Hull survived and Phil Brown grabbed the microphone and decided to sing to the KC Stadium. Um, that, unfortunately, will live with me for the rest of my life. But, uh, but yeah, I can't, I can't think of any other memory that can shake that from my mind as a final day sort of sign-off. And, yeah, three months to think about that before the new season was, was a bit too much for anyone to bear. Brilliant. What about you, Crossy? Arsenal, Arsenal at Liverpool? Well, I, I, I'm just surprised that no one's brought up 1989. So, you know, far be it from me to. I, I was only yeah, two, so that's so the I, yeah. <laughs> that would be the uh, yeah, that would be the most. Um, yeah, surely that's the most dramatic final day um, of a, of any season in football history. Obviously, football, did, you know, football didn't well, exist goal. until 1992. Obviously, but basically, it's um, yeah. Sorry, but don't know how you can quite beat that really. Here you go. Go you on, think Jeremy. that tops the Aguero? Yeah, 
Yeah. Without a chaperone down, not even close. It's one V two. Right. It's one V two. Liverpool were on a different level at that stage. The, the, you know, all conquering, unbeatable. Arsenal had to go to Anfield on the final day after an incredibly traumatic season and win 2 0. No one gave him a hope. No one gave him a prayer. And then basically, it's a final day playoff. There's only one team. Man City are at home. They've got an expensively assembled, brilliant squad against the team that was supposed to be going down that day. And we're talking about, well, I mean, you know, yeah, the, the, the dramatic element of Aguero was the timing, clearly. But in, if you want the actual drama, the actual most incredible moment of final day, Anfield 89, it's not even, it's not even a debate. It's not even a discussion. Wow. Arsenal, Arsenal winning the title at Liverpool. Liverpool in 89 it's just off the scale <laughs> I can't believe you've even asked me that. <laughs> were you at that game you cover that one <laughs> well on the local paper in that stage you see so there you go so anyway I um, um, it, yeah guys it's been it's been an absolute pleasure it really has really enjoyed it thanks so much really good fun um, Jeremy Matt special guest Chris wonderful so thanks so much really really appreciate you coming here I have to say I genuinely think it's been a fabulous well, from a news point of view, isn't it? And I do think I disagree with Chris, and it's not often I can say that. But basically, I do think we're still set up for. I think something will surprise us on Sunday. I do. But I don't know quite what, but I do think that football will always have that capacity to surprise and shock us. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the Guerrero moments. Um, anyway, guys, thanks so much and th- so much for everyone for watching. Been really, really enjoyable. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs>